morning. We are very happy to have Brad and Kathy Johnson back here with us. If you'll remember, over a year ago, we had Brad come uh, share with us at Sam and Wendy's installation service. And so we're very excited that he agreed to come back to us this morning. Um, and now, if you remember as well, um, Brad pastored for over 40 years, most recently the senior pastor of Faith Evangelical Free Church in Acton, Mass, and currently serves as the pastoral care director for the New England District Association for NIDA. Um, and so we are very excited to have you back. Thank you for coming, and why don't you come on up? Thank you for having me back. You probably had absolutely nothing to do with it. It probably was just Sam. If you do remember me, it's either that you uh, have totally forgot the sermon or you thought it was acceptable enough so that you know I could be back. <laughs> so, uh, so here I am and I am thrilled to be with you. Let me um, read the f three verses that I'd like to preach from today and then we'll have a word of prayer. James chapter one, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we believe that you are here present with us. Lord, for each one that knows you personally, the Holy Spirit is indwelling. And Lord, we would ask that your spirit would be active in our hearts. We would ask, Lord, that we would hear from your precious word, your word of truth. And Lord, that it would dig into our hearts and that there would be some effect in our lives as we leave this place and that we would bring honor and glory to you this week because of what we have heard from you this day. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Several years ago, our church had a website, like most churches, and on that website, we had listed in various places certain people's email address. So if like, you wanted to be on the prayer chain, their email address was, was there. So this one Sunday morning, I started getting phone calls from a few of the people in the church saying, what's, what's wrong, are you okay? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, why are you calling? Come to find out, some person had gone through our whole website, found all the email addresses, and had emailed those people saying, that Pastor Brad's in trouble, and would you buy these gift cards, photocopy them, you're all with me, right? Write the pin number down, you know, and it was just a scam. We had to take all the email addresses off from our website, which is kind of a shame, but that's really the day and age that we live where there is so much deception. Fortunately, no one bought cards. They didn't mail them or, or 
email copies of them so no one fell to the scam. Deception, dishonesty, cheating, fraud, we face it every day. Social media is filled with deception. I, I hope you almost don't believe anything you read on social media. And if you do, you need to check it out. You need to make sure that it really is true. Most of the time, my experience has been that it's not. Is there anyone who hasn't been deceived by an email? I have this $5 million that I want to leave to you, and all you've got to do is give me your bank account number, and I'll give you the $5 million. That usually comes from someplace in Africa. A little while back, my wife got a text saying, if you give this address, uh, our address, you know, that we would get some kind of money. Um, my father-in-law worked for IBM for most of his life, and he got caught up in a, in a scam where he was working with my son, who's a computer geni genius, and, and figuring out how to stop what was going on. We bought some plane tickets, and we got a refund, and then we got involved in some kind of scam. The guy wanted to give those plane tickets to somebody else. It's everywhere. How easily do you get deceived? We're looking at James for just a couple of verses here, and James is one of the most practical, practical books in the Bible. It just has so many specific things of, here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do. There's so much instruction for everyday life. Our verses today start with, do not be deceived. Deception isn't something new. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Eve was deceived into thinking that if I just can take a bite of this fruit, I will gain knowledge that somehow God doesn't want me to know. She was deceived. My wife was doing some uh, classwork after about 35 years, I finally convinced her to finish her bachelor's degree. And uh, she was doing a, a study in the book of Genesis. And that study led her to something I've never, in my 40 plus years of ministry, never read in any kind of commentary, never heard of anything. But if you think about the book of Genesis, from beginning to end, every single story includes deception. I already said Adam and, uh, Adam and Eve. What, what about Abram and Sarah? Oh, this is just my sister. Isaac used the exact same thing as his dad, like father, like son. Jacob deceived his father into getting the blessing. I mean, went as far as putting fur on his arms so that he could get the, the blessing from his father. Deception, deception. Joseph not owning up to his brothers. How come the first time he saw his brothers, he didn't just say, wow, you guys are my relatives. Come on in, I'll give you food. Oh, he did, but he gave him a really hard time about it. In James, it says specifically 
Do not be deceived. Here, the idea has a specific way in which we can be deceived. If you look at the context, it's talking about God tempting anyone. Verses 13 through 15 say, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has been conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Who does the luring and enticing talked about in verse 14? We do. We're the ones that our own desires are rooted in that first deception with Satan and Adam and Eve. The mess of this world must always be looked at as us, not God. It's not God's fault since from the beginning deception has been a part of the enemy's ways. Deception, temptation seems to happen in three areas. I think this is helpful for me when I feel like maybe I'm being tempted or deceived to realize that the evil one has these three ways in which he tempts. And there seems to be a pattern in Scripture. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So there's three different ways that we are tempted or that we are deceived. The physical desires, the desires of the eyes, and the pride. Now, if you look at how Eve was tempted, it says specifically that she saw it was good for food. That's the flesh. Delighted in the eyes, obviously the eyes. Desired to make one wise. There's her pride. So, Garden of Eden fulfills 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, that this is the way that Satan was tempting. Is that the only way? Well, how about David? with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. He saw that she was beautiful, his eyes, desired to have her, that's the flesh, and said, aren't I king? I can have her. There's his pride. What about Jesus being tempted by the evil one in the desert? Turn these stones to food. There's the flesh. Showed him all the kingdoms. There's his eyes told him to throw himself off the temple and the angels will save him. There's his pride. So if I feel like I'm being tempted in one of the areas of flesh, eyes, and pride, then I can all of a sudden say, whoa, wait a minute, is this the evil one in my life? Deception. Do not be deceived. So what else can we learn if we look at the specific verses that are are here, 16, 17, and 18? First, we can be deceived as believers. Don't think that because you are a believer in Jesus, that every time you think God speaks to you, that you're not being deceived. 
There may be times where you think, oh, that's, that's what God wants. But we can deceive ourselves so much. I am convinced that Eve thought she was doing the right thing. So we are being deceived in life when sin is entering into our, our world. And, and right here in verse 16, it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James is talking to believers. James is talking to the scattered ones in the dispersion, verse 1 tells us. These are the ones that were part of the persecution going on in Jerusalem. And so, to save their lives, they dispersed out, and James is writing to these believers in the dispersion. And he says, my brothers, those that are, are believers, they had been going through all kinds of trials when you're facing the testing of your faith with these trials, don't be deceived. Our faith is put to a test constantly. We're supposed to remain steadfast in trials. Trials have a huge benefit in our life. The last uh, five weeks, I've had uh, pain in my back. Actually, through coughing, I crushed a vertebrae. And I've spent more time praying in the last five weeks than probably the previous year. And not just about my own back. I just find myself praying about all these other things. So far, my wife hasn't asked me, but I, I sit in my chair staring out, supposedly looking at the bird feeder. And I just find myself in prayer. Trials have these benefits. Don't be deceived by the trials that you face. James says, remember, when tempted, it's not God. Don't be deceived as a believer that if you feel tempted, if in one of these three areas where Satan works, you feel that there's something going on Remember, God is not the one who does the tempting. Don't be deceived into thinking that God is the author of temptation. In fact, the construction of this particular verse could be that those believers were already being deceived and James is saying, listen, stop being deceived. They were already practicing what was being prohibited by James as he wrote here. They were already being deceived. How are we deceived? Well, when you ask the question, why did God do that? You're being deceived. Why was that allowed? There's a deception. There's a thought that God has done this. Well, why would that happen to such a good person? Oh, that sentence is filled with deception. We are deceived. Maybe we actually even think God isn't powerful enough to change these circumstances so this terrible trial wouldn't have happened. Those are ways in which we are deceiving ourselves that God isn't the good God the God of love. 
mostly we think of ourselves more highly than we should. Sometimes we think that we're maybe even beyond being tempted. I was at a men's breakfast yesterday morning, and there was a man there who was simply just saying, well, God has told me. And I'm thinking the whole time, boy, I sure hope that was God's voice he heard. You know, and, and I struggle with those times where somebody else with such definity says, God has spoken to me. I feel like that I've got to be careful, at least I will say, because of my pride. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So maybe God has assigned this man way more faith than me. I'm not going to judge him, but I'm going to say for me, I've got to be careful that I don't deceive myself. If Jesus could be tempted, certainly we can. We need to be aware of how and what ways that we can be tempted. Here are some general ways in our culture where I feel like we could be tempted. If the Bible says one thing and the culture says another, which do you believe? Sexuality. Looks like you're going to study that this afternoon some, if the snow doesn't come. We're headed back into three to six inches. Supposedly it's already started at 10 o'clock back where we live. God created us male and female. Marriage is to be one man and one woman. We are to remain sexually pure. In fact, Ephesians 5.3 says in the NIV, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. You are God's holy people, and among you, there's not to be even a hint of sexual immorality. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that, well, no, that was a different culture that was being written about, and so in our culture, oh, it's acceptable to live together. Who's being deceived there? I don't want to start a firestorm, but... To me, creation, up until several hundred years ago, Genesis was always thought of as 24-hour days. But then science came in and has told us differently. Who's our authority? My voice has always been, listen, however you read Genesis, make sure that it's your belief in Genesis chapter 1 that you can justify with science, not that science has told you how Genesis 1 should be interpreted. Either that or you're being deceived. And there's a number of variety of ways that you can interpret it. What do you do with that? What about the truth of Christianity? I literally know a Protestant minister who says Christianity is like the sunbeams coming through a stained glass window 
and each of the beams are ways to God. Ooh, talk about being deceived. How can he even preach as a Protestant minister that there are just all kinds of different ways that you can get to God? When Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. We're deceived into thinking, oh, but there's so many other religions. Shouldn't we shouldn't be re respectful of them? Yes. Believe them? No. Are we being deceived? Seek the truth and live it. So we can be deceived as believers. Specifically in these verses, it says we can be deceived by our possessions. Ooh, there's one in America that really ought to shout to us. Interesting that right after he says, don't be deceived, he talks about possessions. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift. The idea that God is the giver of good rules out that he could tempt anyone, much less deceive them. How many gifts does it say? Every good one. Oh, well, wait a minute. Let's go even further. Every perfect one. Good and perfect. Nothing but good and perfect comes from God. God's good gifts our kindness and helpfulness and, and the fruit of the Spirit and our homes and our food and our life and our health. Does anyone else give good gifts? I had reasonably good parents growing up. But there were times where they just didn't give me what I was looking for. I remember clearly I wanted this amp to put my stereo stuff through. And my parents gave me this radio with this little plug-in in the back for a mon monotone, you know, and it was just like, this is not what I wanted. But I have to be really careful. Same thing actually happened this Christmas. I have a lovely pair of L.L. Bean slippers. And apparently, my son and daughter-in-law didn't know I had those slippers because they gave me another pair of slippers. You know which ones I'm wearing? The ones I got this year. Mine are retired. Even though there's still a lot of life in those slippers. We don't always get what we want, do we? But from God, He's the giver of life and of health. Matthew 7, 9-11. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread and will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things, to those who ask him? Question. Do you have anything that you deserve? Anything that you deserve? We certainly don't deserve eternal life. But even from a, a, a worldly point of view. Uh, have you noticed how the advertisements are constantly saying, get this item that you deserve? I mean, it uses that phrase. Here, you deserve to get this car. Really? Why? 
What, what makes me deserve that particular vehicle? And it goes on with all kinds of different things. You know, this bank loan, you deserve. Good health, you deserve. Why? It doesn't say that you want, which is the real truth most of the time. Every good gift, but not just the good ones, the perfect ones, where is it from? It's from above. From the Father of lights. Life, breath, the perfect planet condition that we live. The fact that we exist is not deserved. And do you realize the, have you ever stood and looked at nature and realized the perfectness of this creation that we live in? If we were closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. If we were further away from the sun, we'd all freeze. You know, the, the cycle of rain that comes and makes the green vegetation and how we have the food that we have and the, and the perfect oxygen level that we experience. All are the good gifts of a heavenly Father. Let me read Psalm 8 for you. Think about this for a moment. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are even mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes among the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Do you have a sense of unbelievable humility when you read that? Because that's where it should put us. What is man that you even think about us, much less that you sent your son for us? We enter this world with nothing and we'll leave it with nothing. You've all heard that. This is true of every person that's ever lived. Every possession we have is a gift from above. It is only the grace and love of God that we even thought about, that we're even thought about. Don't be deceived into thinking that you deserve anything. Finally, these verses allow us to see that we can be deceived by a false understanding of God. We can be deceived as Christians, we can be deceived by things, by our possessions, but the greatest deception is not understanding who God is. Let me read these again. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of creation. What does this tell us about God? He's the Father of lights. This phrase is probably talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars as a picture for us as God being the creator of lights. Have you ever noticed that in the creation story, God creates light and darkness on day one? And no matter what your understanding of creation, day four is when he creates the sun. Where's the light from for days one, two, and three? In the new heavens and the new earth, in Revelation, it spells out in Revelation 22.5, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God is light. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. This imagery of the Father of lights giving every good gift, it comes from the one who created even the light that we exist in. Powerful enough to create the sun, which is a tiny star according to what they tell us. In fact, Genesis says that everything that was created was good. It even says that Adam and Eve were very good. Who is God? God is the Father of light. It says here, He's the Father of light with no variation or shadow due to change. Words for variation and shadow are terms that are often used for heavenly bodies. So what it's probably talking about is the shadows caused by the sun and the moon and maybe even the stars. It's saying the variations of the days and nights, the lights, the brightness of the stars, the waxing and the waning of the moon, these are all changes, but God doesn't change. God is without shadow. God does not change like he created the, his created world does. The character of God is firm, unchangeable. You know what that means? God has never had a new thought. You and I have new thoughts regularly. Maybe you've even heard something this morning, in something that we sang, or something that's from God's Word here. Well, that's a new thought. That never happens to God. He knows all. He never changes. The problem with us is that we change all the time. Oh, I like you very much. Then you do something mean to me. I don't like you anymore. We change. There's constant things going on in our lives. That doesn't happen to God. And we are deceived when we think of God that way. That he's, he's kind of like, well, this time of year, I notice the sun coming in through our basement windows underneath our deck. The sun is so low that I actually get sunshine into our basement rooms. During the summer, when the sun is straight above, I don't get any shadows. The shadows are constantly shifting and changing. That's not God. 
There's no variation in him. He's the same. He's the only firm foundation that will never fail. Do not be deceived. The third thing it tells us about God is, of his own will, he brought us forth. I just believe I'm, I'm so deceived in this area. What do you do that you do of your own will? Well, you had nothing to do with your birth. You probably have nothing to do with your death. Why do you eat? Well, you have to eat to stay alive. What, ru what rules did you disobey in driving here? Yeah, you've got a little bit of free will, maybe. But don't be deceived. We live according to what God wants. I'm not saying we don't have free will. I'm not going to get into that argument. I just, th I just think it's far less. It's far less than what we even think because God has total free will. He had that in creating us. That's how he brought us forth. That's how he chose to make us in the first place. That's how he chose to make you who you are. We're here because of his will, not because of our own. Who is God? He's the one with total freedom in making me and in making you. Don't be deceived. Don't think you got more say-so than you really do. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. What's the word of truth? Well, hopefully your mind goes immediately to the word who became flesh and gave us the truth, which is the gospel. Which really makes no sense to us as humans that God would put on flesh, he'd walk on this earth, he'd allow himself to be killed as a payment, as a sacrifice for the things that you and I have done wrong, which are 2,000 years after this event took place. You know, you should let your head just sort of start spinning over all of that. He is the word of truth. Deception has filled God's creation since the fall. We are deceived that we may be good enough to please God, to save ourselves. When Jesus came, he described himself as the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God wants to create life through the gospel, through the word of truth. He's remaking, he's recreating. If you look at the creation story, it starts with this chaos that's going on in verse 1. It was without form and void. God created a world of order. We messed it up. The fall, sin, has messed up everything. Every one of us, every day, almost every moment, are affected by sin. 
But God is in the process of recreating, and in, in a sense, the new heavens and the new earth will be the remake of the Garden of Eden. And that beautiful picture of Adam walking in the cool of the day with the Lord God, the creator of all things, that's what we've got ahead of us. We're in the process of God recreating through the gospel of truth. Don't be deceived. It's God's will to offer truth through Jesus and through him alone. Not all religions. God is not destructive. He's constructive. He gave us life. He gave us birth, and I hope he gave everyone here this morning new birth through Jesus Christ. What's the most wonderful and perfect gift? That would be the gift of Jesus and the salvation that he gave. Whenever you hear somebody saying, oh, I wish God would fix this, guess what he did? He took care of the major problem that this world has, and that's sin. So when someone says, why doesn't God step in and fix it? He did already 2,000 years ago. Or have you been deceived as to who he is? God has a plan. He will help us not be deceived by what happens in this world. He's given us a book that is filled with his truth. We've looked at just a small portion of it today. Why has he given us this book? So that we won't be deceived. When we believe that we can do it ourselves, we're being deceived. Why has he done this? Well, verse 18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. It says you're supposed to be the first fruits. What's the first fruits? Well, 2,000 years ago, when they were talking about the gardens that they would have, the first fruits would be taken and offered to God. It would be his possessions. We're to be his possessions. We're to be first fruits and to share the truth that you and I have been privileged to be given not because we deserve it. Do not be deceived. It's not because I was good enough. It's because he wants me to have anything in my life, my family, my job, my hobbies, the entertainment that I do, the conversations that I have, all to be part of the fact that I am part of the first fruits. Do not be deceived. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that these words and the power that they have from your word would echo in our hearts throughout this day. Lord, I pray that even this day we would each be deceived less and trust you more. That we would know that you are the God of the universe 
and that you are the father of lights, you are the source of truth, you are the one we are to follow, to worship, to love. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this church. I pray your blessing upon Sam as the pastor. Help them to give you glory, to grow, to honor the name of Jesus Christ in a regular basis. Thank you for Be Free Dover Community Church. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.